G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the psychology of Warhammer. I am the coach, as always. Uh, I'm going to try not to mispronounce the episode and call it the physiology. We're not here to do massages and to tell me about my body. We're going to talk about the psychology of Warhammer, and we're going to talk a little bit about getting into the mindset of a champion player, really understanding how to make appropriate decisions and how to really make sure you can kind of get into a peak performance. And there was no better person that I could think of. Uh, in fact, this person approached me and I absolutely had, had a, an amazing discussion before the show. And I think we're in good hands. So we are with Francesco coming straight out of Italy. He is a doctor, not a doctor, a doctor of psychology, but he's also a Warhammer player being in Age of Sigma since 2016. His YouTube channel is the AOS Crusaders. This man knows what he's talking about when it comes to not only Warhammer, but psychology. Francesco, uh, ciao bello. Ciao, Anthony. How's it Ciao, going? Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Let's let's hope all, all these good words really, really are true. <laughs> <laughs> I had to make sure that I didn't say Ciao Bella because uh, Ciao Bella yeah, yeah, is yeah. Uh, is for lady and Ciao Bello yeah. with an O is man. Is that correct? Absolutely. Nailed it. <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest, when I was a young boy uh, trying to, to swoon the ladies, uh, I would always try to, I would, I, I had to learn a little bit of Italian. Uh, although my background is uh, half Maltese. So my father and my grandfather, uh, my grandparents came over to Australia by boat uh, from Malta. So I'm the first generation Australian. So Australia, Malta, we're, we're practically brothers. Well, yeah, smaller islands, but still. <laughs> I'm told, I think, in uh, in it Italy or Italian, my last name means skinny, uh, which is ironic because uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not skinny. <laughs> it's great to have you. Um, we've got a whole bunch of questions, and I want to really kind of get into the mind of Francesco, the doctor of psychology, to understand how we can stay in a peak performance because there's a lot of mindset stuff that comes in this game, both uh, meeting with players, understanding players, uh, you know, building rapport. Um, we, we get into challenging moments where we have to, you know, confront a person maybe for, for poor role, uh, uh, rules or um, we, we, we go to an event and, you know, we, we want to win it and maybe the first game we lose it. So, you know, there's a lot of mental stuff that comes in this game and, and there's a lot of mental stamina. The, the game is goes for three hours. You know, for a tournament, yeah. it's two, day, two, two days, uh, maybe three days, depending on how big the tournament is. So there's a lot of mindset stuff that comes in here. And I think the outcome that I want to understand from, from Francesco is how do we stay uh, in a peak performance and how do we create great outcomes for ourselves and our opponents? So uh, being the doctor of psychology, you've got plenty to share with us. Yeah, hopefully we can talk about some cool stuff. Before we get into the, the meat and the potatoes of the episode, um, being from Italy or Italia, um, what can you tell me about the Warhammer scene? I've, I don't know a lot about it. it. It's Italian Warhammer. So I'd love to learn a little bit about like, you know, share with the world. What is Italian Warhammer all about? Yeah, cool. So um, in Italy, we actually have a really, very cool scene going on. Um, we have uh, our ranking system. I would say it's called Lega Chaos, which is short for Championship of Age of Sigma. And it's a ranking system in the sense that uh, you attend tournaments and by winning them or placing in some spots, you get higher and higher in the in the ranking. 
And at the end of the year, so around May, June, something around that, that moment, we have the finals, which is kind of a master's series, if you, if you wish, uh, like you have in Australia, like they have in the, in the UK. And usually the top 32 players meet together for a two day tournament to, uh, say we really hit at, at the, the top, uh, really is the top player of the year. And, uh, it's, it's good because there's really more and more people every year participating. Uh, the tournaments are getting, uh, bigger at, at the same time. And this year we actually had the, our first two day tournaments, um, in, in Italy ever of Age of Sigma, one in Milan in October and one in Pescara in the February. There should have been a third one in Turin in April, but obviously, uh, COVID we don't have to, we don't have to so, talk about that. We, we know what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's cool because the, this really was a really big year and, uh, I'm really looking forward to getting back to play and uh, meet up with all the friends and uh, that's really a tight community. We really have, I mean, I just a year of really going into it. I had friends in Milan and Turin and Pescara in Tuscany and just almost about everywhere in the in the country. So it's a really good, friendly um, community and at the same time, really competitive. We really want to win. We just want to uh play the game and try to be the best as best as we can still being most most of the time really friendly people but really it's no, a really good awesome. place to be i think i i would love to come over at some stage if if we, our countries were closer i'd love to come to a tournament i think uh the italian people oh, yeah. are just beautiful and again we, we come from the same cloth you know the the in the 60s the italians the maltese and the greeks all traveled by boat to australia uh, i know my grandmother came over on boat uh, it took her three months to get from Malta to to Australia. I can't think about what it was like getting on that boat without Wi-Fi, without a tablet, without the internet. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know what was going on, but we are cut from the same cloth. We we love a good carbohydrate, uh, although oh. I would say the pastizzi <laughs> is is superior to to all. Um, <laughs> but oh, we're going to start we're going to start a cultural fight here. I don't really know it. I would love to try it. Though. It's a it's like a pastry triangle that's filled with ricotta um, or, or curried pea uh, is the traditional uh, the pastizzi, but we're not here to talk pastizzis or food wars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to start a, the whole episode will be about food. We want to talk oh, about yeah. psychology of Warhammer, and um, we've talked about the importance. We talked about why we want to understand. So let's start. You know, let's set the the ground the groundwork and the foundations. Francesco, why is it important that we as Warhammer players understand psychology? And we don't have to be doctors of psychology like you, but why is it important that we understand the, the psychology behind the game? Yeah. So, well, going going back to the basics of this game, basically Age of Sigma or Warhammer in general, or every war game probably, is actually a social interaction. It's really a raw form. So most of the time two individuals interacting with each other uh with, with obviously with a set of rules of the game that kind of uh are the base of this interaction but at the same time we are still ourselves even in the game that is filtered by rules so to the table we also bring our personality our lots of stuff we like stuff we don't like and our i don't know our way of playing our way of uh interacting with the with other other people so uh, we have all those good and bad things that we have in our personalities and our personality traits. So um, this interaction is actually 
what really sets the pace of a game because uh, a game between friends might might look like different a different game between two people that don't know each other or two people that don't like each other for this, uh, for instance so the social interaction is really the base of the game you can i mean you can try to play this game by yourself like gw asked us to do those solo campaigns and it can be fun for just five minutes but after all we are here to play with other people so um as much as some people might be introverts or don't really like social interaction we need it for this game it's absolutely fundamental so without the social interaction you can have a real game of warhammer and age of Sigmar in this in this uh special thing so this is why i think psychology and behavior and personality are some some fundamental things that we have to consider in the game when we look at uh, from this point of view and in the deep way just beyond the rolling dice moving plastic toys and whatever but it's really yeah. um a really big part of the game actually it's interesting because when we were talking about this show when we've been kind of talking and bouncing ideas off um about this show for some time now and we were talking about this is almost like a golden triangle for anyone who's followed my channel in the past we had a video with Paul Conti talking about Maths Hammer. It was about statistics and analysis and understanding dice rolls and probability. So that is, is one part of the triangle. I then had another episode with Dan, Dispossessed Dan, Dan Say, uh, Dan Unsupervised, whatever nickname you want to call him. And that was all about sportsmanship and being a good human. That was about not being a dick. It was about building good relationships with your opponents so that you can have a fun game uh, as much as you want to have the fun game. So you've got those two parts of the triangle. And then this kind of comes into the third part. And, you know, for anyone who's listening to the podcast, I'm awkwardly making a triangle figure. Um, but this is the other side where this is about what happens in the mind. And by understanding human behavior, it allows you to leverage the probability, allows you to make better decisions. It allows you to read the body language of your opponent and um, make appropriate decisions, not just in the game, but, you know, with, with human conversation, because we do have a lot of people who come in with, from different walks of life, with different experiences. We have people who have different uh, preferences, and that could be simply introverted versus extroverted. That could be biases that come from... Um, Th th their own experiences and playing with their friends and their games clubs and, and a whole bunch of things. By understanding psychology for me, that allows me to get the best outcome out of the situation as possible. I've always believed that you can't control the cards that you are dealt in life, but you can control how you respond. So by understanding how to appropriately uh, respond and make decisions, that allows me to get the best outcome on the table with my human interactions in life. Absolutely, that's that's really true because as as you will see, uh, both the Matt Hammer video and the sportsmanship video has a really uh, a lots of elements in common with this this stuff we will talk about, and both of them would come into play later in the video because I will talk about we will talk about statistics and figuring out numbers maybe. And at the same time, how to behave, how not to behave on a gaming table. And, you know, just bringing, bringing up a comment from the chat here, you know, R, R, LR mentions, you know, talks about, you know, some of the meta differences that are happening in Italy and how that might impact your game. And for myself, I've played in America. I've played in England. Uh, I was due to play in New Zealand this year. 
And the way that I play in my local scene in Sydney, Australia, is different to the way that you interact in Brisbane or Adelaide in Australia. But then when I go to America and I play in Chicago or I go play in Nottingham in England, the way the social contracts, the the behaviour, the expectations, the cultural differences, they all come to, to play and what might be socially acceptable for me in my house or with my friends may not be socially acceptable somewhere else. So this is kind of where the, the psychology comes in. So you can read the room, have situational awareness and make better decisions, both gaming and in human behavior. Absolutely. So what are some of the traits from your understanding of what makes a high performing Warhammer player from like the psychology point of view? Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, so going back to the basics, as we, we all know, uh, in the background of highly performing tournament players, as well as probably just sports or athletes, just professional athletes, there's a deep understanding and uh, yeah, understanding and knowledge of rules. And uh, in the case of sports, just the dynamics of the sports and uh, the, the positioning and all of that. But in our case, we have to know rules we have to know armies we have to know our list how they how they play how they they don't i don't want to don't want to be played and also a bit deep understanding of the battle plans i would say especially since now we have gh 2020 with new battle plans and new rules so every year it's like a a new set of battle plans we have to to understand and really really learn so this sort of knowledge is something we actually all have access to so it's something we can all do for each other just take some time to read, to study. Uh, what, I, what I used to do, for example, is that well, I, was, I, was, uh, I used to take the metro or the bus to go to, to the university, and I just popped up the Warhammer app on my phone and just read through War School because I was bored, I had nothing to do. And doing that, it's just during your spare time will help you learn uh, just the War Schools and all the rules. But at the same time, reading reading Battlesome, reading War Schools, and it's something I would suggest as a base for trying to better yourself from a practical point of view. At the same time, what I've gathered from uh, highly performing tournament players, for example, is trying to play the most variety of players as much as possible. So varying your opponents is key to bettering yourself, because if you play, if you always play with the same person, you will never know how other people take care of, of, of your armies, of any kind of battle plan. So trying to play uh, against uh, as many people as possible, it's really something that will help you um, better your game in general. So uh, putting this to the side, because it's kind of some, some kind of homeworks, I would say, um, I found some papers about personality traits, for example, in esports players, which is something bigger, I would say, than EGC, of course. But none about world gaming, which is something interesting, because I think there will be something really cool to, to, to tell about the personality traits of war gamers, for example. But what I've gathered there, from there is, there is commonality. Is that, there is commonality, yeah, absolutely. but there are separations as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So, for example, I talked to James Sinsdale on my channel. We had a really cool talk about him or his, his background and his experience. Uh, for example, he was talking to me about the final C1 last year in the, at the in Games Workshop HQ, so in Nottingham. Um, Basically, he talked about mental endurance, he talked about decision-making, he talked about 
the capacity to predict moves of his opponent, which is which are all traits, not really traits actually, but skills, because traits are usually something that you either have or don't, but skills is something that you can develop through the course of your life. So these are all skills that I think come into play when you try to be the best player you can be. So he talked, for example, about being really tired between from one game to another. So trying to break off from the game for even 10 to uh, 15 minutes, just, I don't know, having a, uh, having a, some water or just strolling away from the venue for five minutes, having a phone call with your girlfriend to talk about anything else. It's something that really helps you um, stay away from the game for a little and just recharge your batteries, mental batteries, of course. Um, but for example, talking about predicting moves of, your, of their opponents, of your opponents i really think that our turn actually begins in our opponent's turn because if i am trying to figure out what to do in my next turn when I, already my opponent is playing i will definitely uh, arrive at the moment where my turn starts with a plan in mind it might not be the best plan but i still have a plan so i can then have um, the, all the time i need to uh figure out all, the, all the, the rest of the things that I can't really figure out during my opponent's turn. So um, working during your opponent's turn is something that will save you time and that will actually um, speed up your turn so that you don't have to end the, the game early, which is always something that we try to avoid because it breaks the game a little. Um, I know I know with, you know, know with perfect, with practice, with practice, with practice, you are going to really get to see those patterns and those algorithms that kind of coming into play as well, right? Like you, you play a deep kin army, and you know, once you play a deep kin army, you, you know that you know there's going to be turn one, they're going to be undercover. To, you know, turn two, they're going to be doing X. Turn three, they're doing Y. Uh, there's a particular leader that will make them be able to flip the tide, which means that they're going to be able to always strike first in the second turn instead of the third turn. And but through that practice, you can get to understand the patterns, which means you're able to anticipate the the opponent and make better decisions. So, you know, when we talk about yeah. practice and we talk about deliberate practice, you're right. If if Zench and uh, Slanesh or Karajan Overlords right now are the dominant force in the meta, go and find that opponent and go practice against that opponent, get the experience so that when you're in a this position again, you have more information to to make a better decision. I think that's the that, that's the key for me. Yeah, absolutely. And this comes all through experience because something that is important is you don't have to be afraid of losing because losing is really the base the base to um, work yourself up to become a better player. Because if you don't lose, you will never be able to find all the kind of things you can better in your list or in your game in general that if you always win, maybe because you play against opponents that don't really have the skills you have, you will never understand. So then when you go to a bigger event, you will face people that have maybe have more experience than you, and then you will be baffled because they table you in two turns because you never actually had the chance to figure out the what in your list doesn't work. So losing and playing as much as possible is really the key to uh, start to envision what the other the other player can do with his army so for example you talked about zinch or slanesh so you will know probably from playing that a zinch player would not just take his lord of change and charge it into your screen because it's not what they do maybe you will know that keeper of secrets love to be in melee so you know that they will try to charge 
So this may, may sound simple, but putting that all together with all the knowledge you have the, of the game will already have uh, form, forming a pattern in your mind of what is probable to happen during the game. And this will already start to build a little kind of ability to um, predict the moves and try to understand the flow of the game before it's happening. Yeah, I think for me, like, I, and I'll bring up one particular, I've come up with a couple of slides that uh, I think is really valuable for me to put my thoughts into. And this is something that I've lived by for my entire career. So my background is sales and uh, I'm now in, in like, you know, in a very training, learning and development type roles. And I work with, you know, enhancing people in, in you know, sales and marketing. That's kind of my specialty. But I remember very early on in my career learning about the science and the, the, the neurology behind, you know, human behavior. This really stood out for me, something that I've, I've kind of lived by my whole life. And it's called the ultimate success formula. And, you know, it's really four steps. And, you know, um, Arcanel, uh, Arcanaut Admiral, uh, I put it on screen, you know, it very, follows a very similar mindset where the first things first is to know your outcome. Know what my outcome is. Do I want to win? Do I want to have a good game? If I'm going to a tournament, how many wins do I want from that tournament? To take action is going to be practice. It's obviously going to the tournament. It's going to, to basically go out there and go, go, go get that goal. Then the next step, and the, probably the one that for me is probably critical, is that I have this internal belief that there is no such thing as failure. There is only feedback. If I don't achieve my goal either in the game, at the event, um, I don't think that I suck. I don't think I'm a bad Warhammer player. I don't think that I'm not a good player or I'm a top player. But it's feedback for me to say that my list my list isn't correct. My dice rolling uh, didn't work in my favor. My decision-making put myself in a bad position where I, I am relying on the dice. Um, my strategies weren't the appropriate one. And it's through that self-reflection and that feedback, getting uh, my opponent to provide me feedback, taking time to reflect on the game and what I did wrong and what I could do better, really leads me into the fourth part, which is a, it's changing my approach if required. If I make a bad decision against Deepkin, for example, I'm going to try to avoid that mistake. So what can I do to avoid the... The, the f always fight first, or how can I reduce the amount of damage that the, the, the eel zap does to me? You know, what can I do to make sure that my general or my, uh, my, my super awesome unit that I love, uh, that I need to protect to win the game, how do I ensure that the zaps don't happen there? And I then take that feedback and then put it into practice and kind of take action and, and, and shift and kind of alter as I go. So for me, this has always been the approach. And, you know, I remember talking to a few people, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, they have a feedback journal where they write down their games and say, right, you know, I played this army, this is the result, here's some lessons that I learned. They'll ask their opponent, Francesco, what could I do better? When I played, when you know, was there anything I did in that game that if you had your time again, you wouldn't do? And just, you know, you will learn more from your losses than you do from your victories. And that's why good managers aren't always the best performing employees because sometimes they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, because something that I really encourage people to do is whenever the game is over, take five, ten minutes to talk with your opponent about um, how do you think I could have done this differently? Why do you, why do you think this, this move was key for me or for you to win again? Uh, what do you think uh, changed the game in this situation or this other situation? 
that's really the feedback you are talking about, which is really key, I'm, I, in my opinion, especially when you play against more experienced players and they might see stuff that you don't even figure out by yourself. So they might point out something that you missed or something that you undervalued. And both when I am, I am the most more experienced player and when I am the least experienced player, I love this moment uh, really much because it helps me understand the game better in, and a perspective from someone else is always really interesting and really uh, rich for, for you to, to get and understand. Oh, I just want to pull up a question from um, uh, LR. Um, LR mentions that they are a 14-year-old Seraphon, I uh, say Silver, Seraphon, Sylvaneth player in the UK, and they've been playing since the age of six. And they were wondering, you know, does age affect the psychology of an opponent? Uh, I have some thoughts. Um, how oh, do you think age really impacts question. the psychology? Yeah, good, good question. Okay, so starting from a really neurological point of view, uh, the brain grows up until we are 20, almost years old, pretty much around 20, and they stop, it stopped growing. So up until then, your brain is still developing new synapses, new neurons and everything. So it's in constant evolution. So how you might play when you are 10, it will be totally different from when you are 12 or when you are 18 or when you are 20. So this already has a big influence on the, the game itself and how, how you play. Um, after that, we can go from another perspective. We can see, um, see from the opponent perspective. When you play against a young kid, there's lots of time the feeling like, oh, okay, it's, it's cool, uh, look at this small kid playing. Most of us feel like, uh, I don't know, really inspired to see a young kid player. So sometimes this might lead you to underestimating him. So maybe you think, oh, he's young, so he doesn't really know how to play. And then bam, it tables you like in two turns and you're surprised because it, it didn't make sense to you. And at the same time, some people, um, hopefully not, not many of them, but some people, like to play bullies uh, to other to younger players so they might just try to be too way too i mean go way too strong on them so maybe uh play way too hard than they actually needed to so these are both polar opposites of a spectrum of how an opponent can deal with with a, with a younger with a younger player playing against himself so really to answer the question uh the age has a big influence and as long as your brain is evolving, as much as you're young, I mean, when we are younger, we have much more headspace to learn stuff. For example, learning a language for a language when you're young is way easier than when you're an adult. So this is why at school we, we are taught many much more stuff than we can learn when we are adults. So I, I would encourage him to just try and learn whatever he wants to and feed his brain because his brain is really hungry for knowledge. As, as think, long as he's uh, still growing, actually. Yeah, I think younger people are more open to change. I think, uh, you know, they, there's the old saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I think there's there's truth in that. Obviously, you can teach anyone anything, but I think the adaptability and the ability to learn and absorb information is far greater as a young person than it is if you're an old man like me. So... Uh, I think definitely that kind of comes into play, but uh, I, I think, you know, there's both, uh, there's pros and cons. Obviously experience comes in for the older generation, 
but being able to adapt to the situation. And you see, you know, that, that young people have amazing instincts and they are going to read every decision and respond. I think that flexibility plays a key part in the psychology. So uh, pros and cons. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That's a great question. Thank really you, question. Uh, LR. That's a really good question. So we've talked a little bit about the importance of psychology and we've kind of talked about some of the traits of a, uh, you know, a high performing Warhammer player. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking of performance, you know, at every tournament, at every event, there can only ever be one winner. And it's interesting because, you know, if you were to ask everyone going to a Warhammer event, what is your goal? They would say that their goal is to win the event. But out of 100 players, 30 of players, however many players attending, only one can achieve that goal and everyone else fails in that goal. It's unwinnable for everyone else. What are your thoughts when it comes to finding, you know, gratitude at events, you know, reframing the definition of success? Because I think for me, when I look at the, what is what is my goal and what is success at an event, it can't be being the winner. It's a nice outcome, but it can't be my goal because every other time that it's my goal, I fail. So that often, you know, obviously I talked about no, no such thing as failure, only feedback, but for most people, they, they can kind of get negative or they can get disappointed. Hell, I've seen people quit tournaments when they lose their first game because they realize that their goal is now unachievable and they believe that, th that playing any other games is a waste of their time. So with that in yeah. mind around gratitude and, you know, definitions of success and reframing potentially what success means, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, see, yeah, just like you, I've seen stuff like this. I've seen people losing two games and then dropping a tournament, which really just leaves me speechless because it doesn't make sense. Um, so I think what is go what is key here is, is the fact that we are the ones setting our own goals. So uh, if we set the bar too high, we might fail. If we set it too low, it might feel like an under underachievement. But we are the ones that set the bar. So. Uh, I have an anecdote. I'm actually two anecdotes about this. Um, what really helps me for, personally is going back to the past, for example. So I remember my first ever tournament, um, my first game at a tournament. It was back in first edition, uh, and it was against uh, Skyfire and Sangor Spam list, which was the, like the top list of the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you remember about that. Um, I used to play Sylvanet, that was my first army, my first love, okay? Um, I loved them, and they were a good army as well, because they had a, a good battle some at the time. Um, but in that, in that situation, I, I definitely felt like I was the underdog, so it was my game to try and win, and his game to lose. Um, at the end of the day, it was a really tough game, um, and actually we drawed on points, so we had the same victory points, because it was a knife to, knife to the heart, so you had two, two objectives none of us um, got, got the objective. Uh, and after all, he won because uh, he killed more stuff than me, so it was actually a, ma um, a minor win for him. But to me at the time, that that felt really like a draw, and it was inc an incredible result for me because uh, drawing with such a strong list at my first game, it was a big, big result for me. And it really made me happy. So I think the, the, pers the perspective is the key gratification. So. Um, if we understand where we can where we come from, what we have achieved through the years of our gaming, uh, all the milestones we might have, all the good memories we might have, and even the bad memories, um, this absolutely helps you to put stuff in perspective. Um, and just to go about my second anecdote, it was about uh, last year in October in Milan, 
that was my first two-day tournament. Uh, I, I traveled like uh, four hours by train to go there by myself. So it was a, a strong situation. I mean, a strong uh, involvement in the situation. I, I go there and they tell me, okay, you're on table one on streaming on the first game. So I was freaking out, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I, had, I was playing Flanesh at the time, which was kind of the strongest army at the time. Um, and long story short, I ended up being tabled badly because I played against a Seraphon list that was shooting a lot. So all my demons got tor torn up by Bastille Dance. And I felt shit because I lost in front of everyone um, on my first game after a long trip. So that was sad. But after, after all, Actually, I ended up doing, finishing 11th out of 60 people on a 4-1 result, which was amazing for me. So even though I lost my first game, I kept my mind into the game and I finished with a very good result that really made me happy. So um, with, without this kind of perspective, you can't really find any, any gratification. And there's some people that um, are really lacking this sort of capacity to to find perspective in things so they are just they just build frustration over frustration and then just never helps them find gratification in anything actually so put the bar where it's okay it's not too high not too low but just don't over push yourself because you don't want to feel bad about something that should be fun because it's a game at the end of the day so this really has I think a uh, role in the, in the finding our own gratification to the game. I think for, for me personally, it comes down to one word and that is awareness. It is mm -hmm. having the awareness of the situation. And what do I mean by that? I mean that if I have picked up my battle tome and I've never practiced with my battle tome, the likelihood of me going and winning the event is slim. My expectations should not be, I'm going to go five and O oh, if I've never practiced. Now, knowing the meta, and you know, we'll use the example right now, what's popular is Seraphon, Zench, Cities of Sigma, Slaves to Darkness, um, Caradron Overlords, you know, Lumineth Realm Lords, you know, are starting to become popular. If I've never practiced against them, if I've never beaten them, if I'm not winning in scenarios, I'm not practicing my scenarios, I haven't been, been using my uh, auxiliary objectives. If I'm not putting in the repetition and the work, and I'm sure when you talk to James Tyndale, I think you talk to uh, uh, one of the other Americans. I think did you talk to Bill? No, you talk yeah, to Bill Souza. Um, when you talk to Bill Souza, Bill Souza is an amazing, yeah, yeah. amazing, you know, ETC type player. He, you know, has won yeah, events. Yeah. So for him, the the reflection of can I win an event is very high because he's done it before. He practices. He has deliberate practice. He has. Uh, a community who are also champion players. His gaming club is a champion champion players. So he's practicing at the absolute highest level. So his expectation is certainly higher and he can deliver. It's like an athlete. If you if your athlete is playing in the top grade of, of football or whatever sport, it's it's an easier stretch to go out and win the Premier's League than for someone who's playing park football with their friends. Is it possible? Yes. Does it take practice? Does it take time? Does it take, you know, skill development? Absolutely. So I think for me, when I think about going to an event, it's about having the awareness of what does my, what does, what does a great outcome look like? And it might just be, I want to have five great games of Warhammer. I, I want to win more than I lose, which might be three games, two losses or two wins, one loss. Um, and I want to do better than last time. 
and I incrementally build my skill like I do at the gym. I don't go out and just do 100, 200 kilos of deadlift straight away. I build up my muscle over time. And then uh, mm -hmm. I can push and push. And if it doesn't work, I can go back, take feedback and push again. And I think that's probably true in all of life, whether it's your career, whether it's, you know, um, other hobbies. It's about having the awareness of where you're at, where you want to be, and then understanding what's stopping you and breaking through those barriers. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Both, both these elements really combine together and really lean towards the same, the same goal. It's understanding where, where, where you are, what you are as a player and... Um, yeah, just looking back and looking forward, you can find the right balance between what you want and what you can achieve. Well, if you if you have the goal that your goal is to win the event, I want to win Adepticon. 200 players, I, my, my, that is my goal. The likelihood that I'm going to win Adepticon is slim to none. Um, it takes luck, it takes skill, it takes practice. Um, so for me to win Adepticon, it could be quite hard. And if I don't win my first game, it means I'm probably going to lose the gratification. I'm not going to enjoy myself. But if I go in there and say, I want to have five great games, I want to win more than I lose. And you know what? I, my first uh, I lose my first game. Cool. I can still win four out of five. I can still have great games. I can still go and achieve my goal of winning more than I lose. Because I've reframed and I've, have, um, I, I've put myself in a position of gratification as opposed to I'm going to win. And the only way I'm going to gratify myself from this event is by winning. Yeah, definitely. Now, speaking of speaking of winning and I guess losing, um, one thing that I, I find quite often, and you've probably seen this as well when it comes to, you know, when tournament organizers pull up the draw and they say, round two, Francesco, you are playing Caradron Overlords. And in your mind, you're like, oh, no, I've never beat Caradron Overlords. Or maybe the player that you're playing is a top player in the, in the community or is well-known. They've won an award. They've done stuff. Um, or you've even kind of like taken your game and you've gone to the table and you realize the terrain isn't good. You know, you've basically... I see a lot of people defeating themselves before the, that a dice is rolled. They, they see that they're playing Zench and they're like, I can't beat Zench. Or I can't win in this mission. I've never won in Knife to the Heart. I've lost. What are your thoughts around and what do you know about self-talk? And I guess, how do you kind of take that, 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 oh, no, I'm going to lose. I'm in a bad position. Why should I bother? That kind of, that, that kind of mentality kind of gets in, kind of eats into your head. And how do we turn that from a negative to a positive? Yeah, so I will start with an anecdote about this because it will make you understand what I want to where I want to go. Um, one time I I was at an event and uh, I was playing against somebody that I didn't know. Um, it was the third game, so since it was a one day event, it was kind of the the, the final game, the final uh, game to see who, who would win the event. Um, I didn't know him, but I overheard him talking about my list and about Slanesh and about Keepers of Secrets, saying that he didn't really know about anything, but he was absolutely terrified about Keepers of Secrets. Um, that actually gave me a boost in confidence because I said, okay, so he doesn't know how what, what he's dealing with. And he was playing, I think, Sleep to Darkness with some Marauders and Bellacore and some other stuff, which was actually re was really scary because we all know how they can perform. But that gave me 
the confidence I needed because I felt like I was in control of the situation and it was not. And that is something that I think people should avoid doing because this gives gives boosts in confidence to whoever understand that you are struggling even before the game because actually talking about it it doesn't really make sense because since the game hasn't started why would you be struggling what you would you feel so preoccupied about this so as we all know any game can be won any game can be lost so there's no game that starts with a, with a defeat at this uh, at this at the beginning so um let's let's see yeah we have draws we you are drawn about somebody you don't know it's okay no big deal you you will know him and uh you you will get to play against him it, you might be drawn about somebody as you said that is kind of a beginning in your community somebody that is known for winning a lot um here might see something like reverential fear so reverential fear is something that uh gets together the 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 the, the fear of something as as the respect so it's kind of a uh, in the middle between fear and respect of something or somebody um this is something you don't want because this will turn you as you said about uh, into a defeatist so someone that feels like he already lost even though he didn't really start playing so as i say i really truly believe that no game is impossible to win and something that i i try to break down into two situations so you might be the one that I call the big dog, and you might be the one that is the underdog. So in the, in the case you are the big dog, it means that you are probably the one that has the favorable matchup or the most experience or something that gives you a kind of a, an asset in uh, respect of your opponents. In the case in, in which you are the underdog, you are the one that will really try to work a lot to win the game. You have a difficult matchup, you are a difficult battle plan, or you don't know the army of your opponent. So you are the one that is trying trying to win, but will struggle if if he does so. Um, this sets you. This sets your helps you setting set your expectations, as we were talking about. So we really try to avoid performance anxiety, for example. So if you think about it, if you if you are the underdog, it's actually stress less stress stressful than being the big dog because it's your opponent's match to win. And it's yours 100%. to try and perform as, be as best as you can. So it's actually a relief for me if I feel like I am the one that just shouldn't be winning because, I don't know, his army should be able or has a, a hard time against the opponent's army. And that and helps that goes you back because... To, that goes back to reframing. Yeah. It's about like the, looking at the world and thinking, right, you know, do I want to... Am I already defeated or, or is there an opportunity for me to, to learn, to practice, to try something... And I think that kind of removes a lot of stress. If you're like, well, look, the, the odds of me beating, I don't know, a change host with, you know, all of the demons in the world is is really unlikely. I've never played Zench, so it's probably really unlikely. But I'm going to have new opportunities to practice, to try some things. I'm going to learn. And if it works, awesome. If not, I'm going to do better next time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, yeah, that's a, a stress, rel stress reliever, in my opinion. Because... The, all the stress is on your opponent to confirm the fact that he is the one that will win. So you you are actually more free than him to play the game in a in a in an easier way. Um, and what I think will help in this situation is um, not having uh, performance anxiety will free your mind. It will make you will make you play 
with a lighter mindset than being the big dog in this situation. So um, this is something I suggest you to do when you are drawn up against somebody. Try to figure out if you are the big dog or the underdog. And then we can I start talking about uh, what to do in every situation, in, in both of those situations. But in general, so something that um, yeah, go ahead, sir. I was gonna say I'm always the big dog, and I think um, <laughs> this 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 really ties in nicely to an image that I'm going to bring up again, and um, it's the way I see peak performance and the way that I work and coach with you know um, people that I work with, and you know for me that this kind of sums it up really nicely, and I've made it age of sigma. So if I look at the top, and again, people on the podcast, apologies, you might want to come onto YouTube, or uh, hopefully I paint a good picture. At the top of, of, um, of the world, we have our internal, internal representations and our physiology. But I'll break down the internal representations first. So our internal representations is everything that we see, we hear, and we feel. So, um, you know, I, I get to the table and I see that there are four units of pink horrors, or I see uh, four big blocks of flamers, or I see there's Lord Croak, uh, I see there's a bunch of salamanders, I know there's a Balwin Vortex, you know, I look at the person's army list, um, and I just see that this is the, the the stuff of nightmares, the one that has won tournaments in the past, it is, you know, a bad time for me. And let's say I, I'm sitting there freaking out going, I'm never going to win this game. Uh, I can't do it. I've never faced them before. I can't deal with Croak, whatever the story might be. These are all internal representations that will essentially affect our mindset. If I walk into a game thinking, I can't beat Seraphon, I can't win this game, I'm never going to be able to do it, what happens is my behavior will, will probably change. I'm probably not going to be as confident in my decision-making process. I'm not going to... Uh, go at 100%. I'm not going to push my opponent. I'm not going to try to win the game. And the outcome is the result. And the result is I'm not going to game. I'm not going to win. And that will basically reinforce my behavior. I'm like, well, the start of the game, I knew I wasn't going to beat Seraphon. And guess what happened? I didn't beat Seraphon. So the story that I keep telling myself is I can't beat Seraphon. Yeah, this is and something in psychology called a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's exactly something that you envision right. and that actually you say, yeah, that happened because I knew it would happen. But it's something we decide. It's not something that really happens. It, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. I couldn't agree more. But, you know, taking that underdog uh, story to the table, let's say that I haven't played Zentra. I haven't been able to beat Seraphon just yet. I look and see and feel the story. And I'm like, look, Seraphon is still that army I haven't been able to beat yet. But you know what? I'm going to try something. I'm going to see if I can handle that, that burnination from the salamanders. Or what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I screen all of my good stuff so that they only burn my battle line and I've still got my center of power, my, my hurricanum, my wizards, whatever it might be in your army that does a lot of damage. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to try some things different and I'm going to do the best that I can with what I've got. And if it doesn't work, cool. Hopefully I've learned some strategies. Hopefully I, I only push them into the minor. Hopefully I stop them from scoring their auxiliary objectives. And what happens there is the internal representation or the story that I tell myself becomes very different. And then that will influence my behavior. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try hard. Even though I know I'm not gonna win this game or I might believe that I'm not gonna win this game, I'm gonna play a lot different than I was if I went in with this defeatist mindset that I'm not gonna win. And what happens, the result, I might learn some things. I might actually win. 
I might be able to d defeat all of their salamanders. And maybe, maybe Lord Croak and a bunch of skinks are still on the board. But I did far better than what I did, what I would have done if I thought that I was going to lose automatically. And basically what then happens is we go back to there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. I learn and say, well, what else could have I done? You know, what could I do in my list to change if I'm in this position again to be able to handle Lord Croak and the, and the, and the Salamanders? And we change the story and we change the result. For me, that is psychology of Warhammer. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember uh, a game I had um, in February uh, at the, the event in Pescara. Uh, I, I still brought my Slanesh, even though it was the start of the shooting meta, so it wasn't that good of a time. And I was up against, uh, it was round four against an Osiricable Reaper's list, just Geekarder, so two Clorders and lots of Martyr Guard uh, and the small heroes. And it was duality of that, rest in peace. <laughs> So we had the, the two the two um, objectives, and I I played against a similar list before. So I felt I felt like I was truly the underdog. It was almost an unwinnable mission for me. I thought, but at the at the time I had this idea. I I thought I should go all in into one objective, and and then try to use my the speed of my keepers of secrets to converge on the other objective and maybe. Tag, tag up the Mortar Guard, and he will probably split split his army in two. So my whole army on one side should take out half of his army and then could converge back to the other objective, which is actually exactly what I did. So I set up basically all my army, but five of Striders on one side, and try to enact this plan, which almost worked because I slightly lost. I did lose, but, which was okay. But um, talking back to the to the to my opponent after the game, he was really surprised because he, he thought too that I nailed the the, the only one, the only chance I had maybe to win was exactly what I did. He, he agreed 100% with me. So this really, actually, first of all, made me happy because uh, I had I came up with a good strategy probably, and at the same time I performed way better than I expected. So it's exactly what you are saying. I didn't lose. I just gained some really interesting feedback, both from my opponent and from the result on the table. It's amazing how little, how many people don't ask me for feedback at the end of the game. It's not an ego thing, but I think people should get into a behavior, whether they win or whether they lose, asking their opponent and saying, is there something that I could have done better in that game? Now, you may not believe them. You may not, you may not go away and implement it. But if you start hearing a pattern, if you're like, you know what, that made sense. Um, you know, Dan Brewer is someone that um, we speak about a lot on this channel. And one of the reasons is, you know, I believe he is the master of retreating. I don't think enough opponents use retreating as a strategy. And he'll say, you know, you shouldn't have sat there and fought. You should have retreated. And by retreating, it would have been able to, you know, fight combat on your turn, be able to have... Um, uh, claim a, an objective by retreating and sneaking around or if you flow you can kind of fly over a screen and it could have challenged something else and it's that one little tip you're like you know what I probably should start thinking about retreating more and then when I go into combat situations I think do I stay here and fight do I retreat and from that moment on you just inc increase your knowledge and you increase your skill because you're getting constant feedback and that's how we get good we get feedback and we learn from our mistakes. Yeah, definitely. That's that's a common mistake, I, I think, too, because 
what what people struggle to understand is that this game is not Rammer Fantasy Battles. It's Ezio Sigmar. So even though you might like to smash into other units, you really have to understand that charging or staying into a fight instead of retreating or just staying outside of a fight it's not is not always the best choice. And I see this lots of time because people basically most of the time just want to go ahead, charge and roll some dice and try to remove units. But it's not always the optimal choice because you have to stay on the objective. You have to play the objective game to win. You might, yeah, you might table your opponent, but he might have just gotten a few victory points more than you, and then you, you still lose even though he doesn't have anything on the table left. It could have been something as simple as you shouldn't have taken first turn. You should have given it away to me. Uh, or if you did get the double turn, you know, you shouldn't have gotten really blood hungry and you should have actually still given it away. Because a lot of people do want the double turn, but actually it's not always the best time to take it. Maybe it was good for you to give it away, yeah. go for a, a, a double turn later in the game, or knowing that you are, you are quite well defensively, you, you are afforded to be able to give it away, and then you would still have a combat or you'd be able to, to make a move um, after they've wasted some resources. So I think, again, this is key. It's about getting feedback, you know, um, getting some good stuff in the chat, talking about after people play their games, you know, asking for feedback ask for feedback, write it down as well. I find um, uh, from, a, from a learning and development point of view, you know, my, my profession, um, we retain more knowledge by writing things down. Um, we, 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 um, we, and one of the reasons I love tournaments as well is you retain even more knowledge by putting it into practice immediately. So if I learn something in, in game one, being able to apply it immediately in game two and game three, I will retain more knowledge. But at minimum, by writing it down, by, you know, writing some notes, by, by you know, thinking about it, you will, you, will learn more, you will learn more than just verbally discussing it. So if you've got yourself a little journal, go buy yourself a little notepad. Um, I would write down even just a couple of bullet points after the game, what you did well so you can continue doing it, and then what you could do better so you could avoid it the next time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I wanted to, to take this chance to just go back a second about the, the, the fact that you, you have to understand when or not to take a chance. Um, just to underline a, a, a psychological thing that we can talk about. So it's, in behavioral psychology, there is a concept that it's called delayed gratification. And it's something that we actually witness in our everyday life. There's lots of examples about this, but the, the experiment that is most common is um, some people are are just around the table with some donuts in uh, the center and they are told they are the day before donuts so they are old and they are told also that if they wait i don't know one or two hours uh, a guy will come in and then they will replace the old donuts with the new donuts and we'll be surprised uh, to see how many people actually don't care and just go and eat the, the, the donuts because they are there they just want them they just don't have, don't want to wait they just don't want to delay this immediate gratification they could have. And this, as much as it can sound weird, comes into play as well in the game. And it's exactly what we were talking about. Because you see people playing the objective play and you see people playing the I want to table you game, which is something completely different. And it's not always the, the best decision. Because as we were talking about, you win through objectives and tabling your opponent might not be the best way to win through objectives. So 
not all people understand when you, they have to restrain from charging, from retreating, from whatever they need to be, from deep striking this 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 unit they have, and outstretching too much, for example, or overcommitting to a fight can be actually the thing that leads leads you to a defeat because you 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 didn't restrain from snatching that quick gratification instead of waiting a turn or two to then go, be able to, I don't know, move through a, through a gap or fly over a, a screen or basically um, being able to make that move that actually has way more value than that just, oh yeah, I killed a 10-man Spiegel guard unit and, and turn one move. So it's really about learning that. when to grab this sort of thing. I have that a lot. I've got a couple of units that give me delayed gratifaction, gratifaction uh, satisfaction or gratitude. Um, you know, things like my goblin fanatics, you know, I get to release them and I just want to release them as quick as possible and cause terror. Or it might be my shadow warriors and I want to drop them down and I want to be able to try to steal an objective or I want to, be able to shoot off a key character. Or maybe it's my Celestine Prime, which is like 300 points. That's a good size investment of a unit. And I want to bring them down and justify that 300 points. But by keeping them in the sky or keeping them in reserve for two, three, four rounds, I might feel like I'm wasting, but actually the gratification and the reward can often be far greater than if I put down that Celestine Prime in round two. Yeah, it does some stuff, it does some things, but it, I didn't get the value out of it. And I just want to draw upon a point that come up in the chat, and I think it was a really, really, really good point. An Arcanaut Admiral um, brought up a point, he was talking about how um, often when people lose, they blame the list. And, and I see that a lot. And to me, that kind of brings me up to another key point where I see this is a mindset that I try to, I, I try to in, uh, enforce a lot. It's the, it's the master and victim mentality where if you are a master of your domain, it's about control, it's about choice, it's about responsibility. Again, you can't control the cards that you're dealt in life, but you can control how you respond. So it's not about controlling the situation, but by being a master mentality, it's about saying, right, um, I am going to take responsibility for that loss. And my choices are, is to practice, it's to change the list, it's about to dump it all together, or it's to understand and reflect, did I make bad decisions that I need to, it wasn't the unit, it was me, it was me who didn't do correct, whether it was the poor choice, or I didn't, I didn't focus in the right area, I didn't deploy it where it should have been deployed, as opposed to what I see a lot which is, you know, a very victim mentality where people who are very victim orientated, they'll deny there's a problem, they'll blame other people, they'll justify it. Oh, I never was going to win that game. I've never beat this person. Uh, you know, um, they justify that, you know, my army is overcosted in points, you know, the scenarios that work in my favor. You know, it's always about the other people. It's never about them. And what often happens is they get so frustrated over time, they eventually quit. They either quit physically or they quit mentally. They're like, they just stop caring. So for me, especially when things aren't going my way, it's about having that master's mindset to say, right, what can I control? What are the decisions that I can make? How can I appropriately respond in the future? Definitely. Absolutely agreed. And this just sprung into my mind, the, the perfect uh, psychological concept that matches this. There is, there is something called locus of control which is a concept that basically 
measures how somebody thinks he is in control of his life and the events that happen in his life. This translates perfectly in what you were talking about. Because there are two types of locuses. Some, I mean, it's a trait, so it's measured in people's personality. So you might have an internal locus of control, which is exactly what you talk about, the master personality. So you are in control of your actions, you are in control of your life, the events are reactions of what you did, and it's not uh, something that you have to blame on whatever, whatever happened outside of your life. And there is external locus of control. So people feeling like they are just a grain of sand in the ocean, blaming uh, someone else for what happened to their lives, blaming someone else for their failures, justifying negative events as, oh, my, I'm so unlucky, this is something that comes up a lot. Just, so in the game, oh, no, my dice sucked, my, I don't know, I had bad luck, I was tired, I was... I, I, know, ne I, never, I never win a priority roll, uh, you know, if only I rolled a six here, and, you know, it's always other people. Uh, it's never me. It's never the decisions that I make. It's never about my uh, my processes. It is always about everyone else. And the problem that I find is that if everyone else is in power, how do you get better? How exactly. do you get better if you're not in control and you have no power because it's always the list? It's your opponent. It's the tournament organizer. It's the game. It's the terrain. It's the dice. None of it's you. So you, you can't control any of that. So you're screwed. Yeah, it's and and having the victim mentality is actually really really useless because when you come to this conclusion that it was I don't know the the battle plan's fault because you lost, you just stop your reflection there. That's it. You don't have anything else to talk about, think about, reflect about. Uh, in in fact, if you actually think about that, I don't know. I might have might have made something different. I might have made another choice. I might think about my list more. I might swap some units uh, in and out. Um, I made some wrong decisions. That will help you um, reflect more about all this game experience that really actually has all these tiny elements inside of them and will make you um, understand it deeply and rather than just, uh, yeah, stopping your reflection right after losing because it wasn't your fault, you just were unlucky. It, it, it gives you that spark of reflection, of curiosity to understand it more and to better yourself even more, I think. I think one thing for me that happens a lot, or not happens to me personally, but again, what I see a lot is um, when things don't go our way or maybe we make bad decisions at the start and, and you know, the decision-making process happens right from deployment. Um we make bad decisions. It's just human nature. Human nature, nature ba makes bad decisions. And what I find is that under pressure, some people, um, their decision-making processes go down the drain. Um, there's been plenty of times where I've played an opponent where they were winning at the first round or two. And then I respond. My, my game style, the way I like to play, is I'm very much a counter-type player. So I hate being defensive. I hate being offensive. Like, I will never be an Iron Jaws player that runs up the board turn one and wants to crush your face. That's not my style. Um, that's actually why, as a Cities of Sigmar player, I hate running the Soul Screen Bridge. I hate picking up a unit and throwing them up, up the table and trying to destroy my opponent. That's not my game style. The way I like to play is I like to try to counter my opponent. I like to look at the battlefield, I like to respond, and I like to strategically try to make better decisions than they do. And that brings me to a point around pressure 
and it's about keeping cool and it's about being consistent with strategic decision making through the entire three hours of a battle. Because things will go our way. Things won't go our way. We'll get double turned. We'll want to roll a charge roll that doesn't work out our way or we burn a command point that we wish we had later. Um, you know, maybe my opponent gets up on victory points early and then quickly I'm used to being ahead and now I'm down. So under pressure, I, I stress, I, I make bad decisions, I rush, I do things that will just continue to make my game harder. How do I keep my cool and how do I improve my decision-making process through games? Hey, yeah, so both keeping cool and improving your decision-making are actually elements that really um, go together at the same time because being able to keep cool will help you improve your decision-making, actually. So being able to keep cool, it's not, it's not a personality trait. It's not something you are born with or without. It's something that you really train over time. So it's definitely something that can be um, improved over time. Um, so when we are in this bad situation, what is what can often happen, as you just said, you can you can most of the time or sometimes feel defeated or overwhelmed about what is happening. So first of all, I know it's hard. I know it might sound simple, but we need to focus on positive things. So yes, you might have been double turn. Yes. Um, you might have failed that charge or, okay, there's more outcomes than what it looks like because you might have been double turned, but we all know that after that, you might get the double turn. So maybe you can retaliate as, as much as, as good as your opponent just did, or even better, maybe, um, at the same time, failing like that one charge or that one, I don't know, ability or whatever, um, can be over can feel overwhelming, but at the same time, can lend you a really interesting um, chance to reflect about something. If you fail that charge and you feel so down about that charge, maybe you you that charge was way too important. So you maybe actually put too many eggs in this charge basket of yours. <laughs> so unless maybe it's something like a hell mary charge or yeah, I'll try this twelve-inch charge or try whatever. If probably if you if you failed that charge and it was that important, there's something at the root of the charge before that and at the root of your strategy that was not actually the best decision you, you might have made. So trying to get back to decision making, um, something that helps you in that sense is trying to understand your emotions and what you're feeling in the game. Um, sometimes, I mean, the some some something that really happens to everybody is being anxious. Anxiety is uh, an kind of an unnamed feeling because it's just the feeling of unease that you don't you don't really know about because it's not your, that you're afraid about a shark in the sea or getting getting shot Maybe by somebody. Are. It's just a general yeah you might be but anxiety specifically is a feeling it's a, a general feeling of un unease and worry and just being on edge all the time and that's what makes it really hard to fight because you don't. You don't have a target for that anxiety. It's just a general feeling. So when you're at the table, you might feel anxious or a feeling that is close to anxiety. But most of the time, it's actually, I don't know, maybe uh, reverential fear. Maybe it's just um, uh, you're anxious to perform as, as, as good as you thought you could be. Um, 
So understanding why you are feeling that way and what actually you are feeling will really help you focus on the situation and um, focus down that anxiety and give give it a real name and a real target. So instead of being a generic feeling of uneasiness, it's just, yeah, I am nervous because I am playing the top player X or Y. I am nervous because I really want to win. I am nervous because I need to go to the bathroom. It can be really anything. So trying to understand the emotion is a key in this situation. At the same time, going even more to the physiologic route that we were talking about, breathing is a really huge thing in, in general in performance because when we are anxious, our breath really starts going up and up and up and our blood pressures goes up and as well. We might sweat a lot, we might be a short, short breath at the same time. So slowing down our, our breathing will really help with diaphragmatic breath. So with your belly at the same time with, then with your chest. And this will actually slow your slow down your blood flow, slow down your heartbeat, and this will snatch you out most of the times of that anxious feeling that really doesn't help you think think well during the game and slow slow down the situation to have a a lighter mind to focus on what's really going on instead of what your body is telling you to to worry about, which is actually not that much of a worrying situation because even though as we were saying it's a game you might lose you might win you're still yourself you don't die you just don't get robbed or anything <laughs> so this brings me up to one of the other slides that i prepared for because i wanted to talk about this and it's a famous statue that people may know called the rodan's thinker and uh, the quote that i wanted to share and you know if i look at the physiology of this person it's clear that we can tell that they're thinking. And, and how do we know that this person's thinking? It's because of their, their physiology. And the quote that I've got here, again, podcast listeners, apologies for the, for the lack of visuals, is that, again, I believe that what the mind harbors, the body manifests. And I, and I also believe it's true in reverse. What the body harbors, the mind manifests. And I think about things like when I go to the gym. Now, I often go to the gym after work, um, which is a bad outcome um, because, you know, you, you might have a very stressful day. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're often very tired. And, you know, I find that there's plenty of times where I have to talk myself into the gym. I'm like, Anthony, just go to the gym, go to the gym, go there for 10 minutes. Just put on your gym clothes, go there for 10 minutes, get on the bike, do some cardio. That's it. And often you self-talk yourself to going to the gym. What you find, though, is that when you go to the gym and you convince yourself to do 10 minutes, you never do 10 minutes. And the reason for it is because your body starts to increase those endorphins, you start to kind of move around, and your body starts to over override your mind. And even though you might feel tired or you might feel drained, your body is, is kicking in and it's telling them to keep going, keep going. And I often find I'll do a full hour, 90 minute workout. So how does this apply to Warhammer from my perception? So mm. for me, again, what the mind harbors, the body manifests, what the body manifests, the, the mind harbors. Um, well, I'm sure just reverse that. Yeah. So that, when, I think, really cool. when I think about this, um, when I go to a tournament and um, I don't know who I'm playing, um, you know, my energy is really excited. What I will do is I'll listen to a song and, you know, I might, you know, I might have a, a particular song. Um, I actually do have a particular, I have a tournament song. Um, it's a bit of a funny song. 
but it kind of gets me in the mood. Uh, you know, like Rocky, right? When you put on Rocky, you know, people always like shadow box and they get excited. It's just that song over overrides your mind and you start to shadow box. Uh, and I'll play a different song from Rocky. It's a, a, a song by Joe uh, Espinol, I think he's called. It's, it's like, you're the best around. Uh, and it's just a bit of funny. It's fun, right? But when things aren't going my way, what, what can I do? I can, you mentioned right at the start of the show, go outside, make a phone call, have a fresh air, drink some water, go have something to eat, listen to some music, chat to your friends and uh, talk something that's not Warhammer, um, go for a jog, go run run around the block, um, you could read something, uh, you know, look at your iPhone and look at something different, you know, just just interrupting the pattern and it kind of goes to a question that's in the chat as well about you know fatigue people get fatigued in round two round three round four um you know i played at adepticon this year oh last last year and i played eight games in a row i played like i played four days of warhammer straight and i was mentally not tired because i was using strategies to keep myself excited motivated clear thought it could be meditation it could be the food and the drink that i put into my body um you know in drinking water snacking on nuts instead of focusing on sugars which we know that are going to create a crash later on so it's about thinking about the relationship that your mind and your body is having so if your body is tired how do i how do i re-energize it or how do i use my mind to empower my body and if my mind is feeling fatigued, how do I use my body to override my mind? And that could be running around the block, do some push-ups, uh, eat a delicious meal. All of a sudden, you feel great again, and you will, uh, yeah, like that. Like, is that making sense? Like, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Um, what What's really underestimated about this is also nutrition, because um, we really actually need to fuel our body because our tournament can be a really strong experience for our body. We all know we might have back pains, we might have, uh, I don't know, feel dehydrated or feel mentally tired or physically tired at the same time. For example, me, I always have like a uh, leg, my legs are really always sore after a tournament, so I can get really tired after a little while being uh, being um, at the table. So I start to sit a lot around the table during the tournament at the same time. So what really helps you is, yes, drinking a lot, eating some high high energy food like like for example james or was telling me about uh him he, he always brings himself some candy along the table we just eat some haribo bears or whatever you like the most and this is yeah it's not that the best food for your body but in that moment it's probably one of the best because that sugar would really help you fuel your mind for a little more and uh, it will really help you hold for that that few that few more minutes that you need to what about what about you know we're talking about the mind and we're talking about the the relationship and our opponents have this exact same relationship of the mind and the body and when things aren't going away for our opponent or they're under stress or you know i think one of the one of the keys to having a great game with your opponent if that's your goal is being able to read them read their their tone their pitch their their um, body language you know, looking up for those signs that we're able to either take advantage of if you're someone who's super competitive and you want to uh, absolutely take advantage of someone under stress 
or you might want to adapt and and change your behavior in order to improve the experience of your opponent if you're finding that they're not enjoying themselves. So no matter which which side you're on, I think we all have the the ability to read people's body language, have awareness, and um, and interpret and adapt our behavior. So what what are some of the things that we should be aware of when it comes to our our, our body language as well as our opponent's body language? Yeah, well, so we are going into the field of proxemics. Proxemics is the, the part of psychology that studies the body, the body language, the, the nonverbal language. So um, the big difference that I see at first is that we, we have two categories of game. We have games with friends and we have games with people we don't really know. Or we don't know that much as yeah, we know. Some so in those types of games, the, situa- the communication can be very different. So if you know somebody, if you know the people, the, the guy we are, we are playing with, we usually know his body language. We usually know what he likes. We usually know what he doesn't like. So um, that's kind of a situation that's easier to read instead of a situation where you don't know your opponent. But when you don't know the, the, the person you are playing against, for example, the first things to look at is in his body language is, for example, uh, if he sits down or if he, if he stands up. Sitting down is usually a, a sign of being tired, of being bored, uh, of or both of them. For example, your head on your your head just like this on your hand is something we do when we are tired, we are bored. I mean, I don't I don't enjoy the game. I, I don't know what to do. That's, Fo- that's folding that's folding your arms is another example. Like when you fold folding your, your arms, arms, yes, that's uh, often. Fold. Yep, that's definitely something that is uh, usually uh, as a correlation with being defensive, with being close. In general, don't 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 want not wanting to communicate in general. And one thing that I find extremely fascinating about communication is the, the first law of communication that I learned about is we just cannot not communicate. We always communicate, even not communicating with words will always be a communication because the example is I don't know you're on, on, a, on a on a flight and you have somebody next to you, you're feeling like chatting, talking a little bit. And you see this this person with, with his I don't know maybe newspaper just close to his face, cutting the visual from you. This is not a communication in the normal way of thinking, but it's actually a communication in the body type of communication because he's saying, "I just want to mind my own business. I want to read my newspaper, and I don't want to talk to you," even though he's he's not openly saying it. Because we all we all understand what he's trying to communicate to us. So in this sort of situation, I I would encourage people to be vocal as much as possible. So especially about negative things, because if you're not sure about um, how someone is feeling, ask them. I, it's it's just it's also also a way to help introvert people to be a little more extrovert. Because if you go and try to talk to them, that will be probably easier for them to respond instead of just them opening themselves up to you and trying to talk to you. So ask them if everything's okay, if they want to have a five-minute break or just go have a, a drink or, uh, I don't know, just uh, share a quick joke to them, just laugh a little bit with them. This will help relieve the, the stress of the situation, maybe. Or even if you're not sure about, I don't know, a rule or an ability that is going on, ask ask your opponent because it's, it's okay to be not 100% informed about the game. So ask them, I don't know, what rule is this? I don't know about it. Or I don't know, is behaving in a way that is not really feeling good to you, 
try to tell them, especially if you if you try to tell them politely, is way I think. Um, this will just help to um, skip the indirect communication and go into direct communication about something, and it will really help you to avoid misunderstandings and to have a, a, a way more positive atmosphere at the table. Because I know I, as a mostly um, I'm mostly someone that is not always feeling um, extrovert. Um, there are times we are lazy and just don't want to talk about something or talk to someone because we are lazy, we are introvert, we don't want to talk about it. Or we, we, we see something that is obvious to us, we think about it, but just we are not vocal about it because, yeah, it's obvious. That's, it's clear that it's like this, but it might not be that obvious for our opponents. So speaking about stuff is always, I think, the best choice in this kind of situation. Yeah, and you know, for anyone who did watch the last episode that we did on um, sportsmanship with you know um, Dan Unsupervised, we talked about the social contract. We talked about um, people have people like people who are like themselves. That's just a fact. If I was to take a photo of ten people, your gaming club in the room, if I took a photo of your gaming club and I showed you the photo, the very first person you would look at is yourself because you are your favorite person. Just we, we we are just closer with people who are like ourselves. We are just it's just it's just nature. If you like the same sports team as I do, if you like the same army that I do, you like the same music, the TV show. I just have this deeper rapport because we've got more in common. And what I find is in, when when we when we go to a gaming table for the very first time, whether it's at a tournament, whether it's at our local game store, whether it's with a friend there's this opportunity to create a social contract. And it is, what's the type of game you want to play? Um, What is, uh, how would you like to, you know, resolve um, a dispute? Do we just roll the dice? Do we, you know, call over a judge? Um, You know, do you want to be talking throughout the game? Or, you know, should I leave you alone when you're making decisions? Some people who are very extroverted in their nature, they like to talk shop and, you know, we... We cheer, we cheer when the dice go our way and we boo and cry when the dice don't go our way. And we have fun and, you know, there's been plenty of times with my opponents, things that have gone against me, a hero's died, something's happened, I'll give them a high five because it's a good moment. It's not a good moment for me, it's a good moment for them. So we celebrate in the moment. But it's that opening slot that we have with our opponent that we can create that social contract and we can try to find common ground so that we don't escalate through the game. A prime example that I do is um, I always set the conditions that um, if a dice is not flat, so if it rolls on a terrain piece, that's a re-roll. Regardless if it worked in my favor or against me, I re-roll that dice because it wasn't flat. Um, there's another one that, you know, when we roll our dice, you only remove your misses. So what's left on the table is there's only hits. Um, with my monsters that degrade their profiles, I count up so it matches my uh, behemoth table. So that my opponent, when they see my terrorgeist or my you know, mangler squig, they know that it's got it's taken three wounds, not that it's three wounds left. And there's not going to be a moment where they target it thinking they're going to kill the terrorgeist, when actually it's only going to move half strength. So by setting that social contract, I'm able to um, put myself in a better position and then ultimately read their body language and respond appropriately because I know 
how they like to be engaged. And another call that that I would make is how often people are playing with their phones and how often you're playing with your phone. I'm not talking about bring up your war scroll, but if I'm if I'm about to roll some dice or I'm moving and someone is just looking at their screen and, and playing with their phone for five, 10 minutes, that tells me that my opponent is disengaged from the game. They're just not paying attention. They're not enjoying themselves. They, are, they have removed myself. They are defensive. They're disengaged. So what can I do to bring them back into the game? I'm not saying forfeit. I'm not saying throw a unit, but it might just be for five minutes. Hey man, doesn't look like you're having a good game. Do you want to go to the bar and grab a drink? Do you just want to go take a break for a minute? Because they're clearly not enjoying themselves if they're going to be completely disengaged from the battle. At a tournament, you may not care. I, I, I'm talking on behalf of Age of Sigma. If you're at a tournament, you just grind your opponent to the ground if you want to. If you're not at a tournament, maybe you, you're not, you don't have that mindset. But just being able to read your, your opponent and your body language. Are you disengaged? Are you playing with your phone too much? Are you taking too many photos on the table and your opponent is just waiting for you to pay attention so they could roll some critical dice? Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I, I really agree to this. And at the same time, I, I strongly think that um, if you really want to win something, a game or a tournament or an event, whatever, you should try to do it the best way possible. And for me, the best way possible is to be the best person possible. Because if you are a dick to your opponent, you can only expect other opponents to be dicks to you. So I think people should try to be the best opponents they can always be. Because then you can set the standard for other people to be nice to you. And that's, that's I think, the really the basics of the game. Because if you are not nice to people, you just shouldn't be at the table, in my opinion. Because as much as you can have a really super tight game with no taking backs, just no, uh, oh, I forgot about the, moving this thing off of an inch. No, you don't take it back. You should always be a gentleman, in my opinion. Because if you don't do this, I, I to me, it just feels like half a win. Because it wasn't a game. It was more of a competition, strictly competition. And it's still, at the end of the day, still a game. So it still should be fun for everybody. I am hopefully. And and we're we're talking generically here, folks. If you are playing at a tournament and you're in a play-to-win situation, take as much or as little as we're talking about here. Uh, Much like um, if you're playing locally with your friends, if you're playing at a local game store, again, take as much or as little as you want. Um, You may not want to let your your, your opponent do over. Maybe they're too far in the game to to do a do-over. it's up to you, but I think setting some precedents and setting some groundwork, regardless of of, um, of where you're playing and uh, and just trying to define what type of game. I think that, especially at a local game store, obviously a tournament, everyone knows they're going in with 2,000 points and they want to win. But when you're playing with a local game store, it might, uh, even at tournaments, I'll say to my opponent, how long have you been playing Age of Sigmar for? Uh, and I'm trying to feel out how, how experienced is this person? Because someone who is inexperienced may need me to explain my rules more often. They may need me to um, to demonstrate a few things. I may need to be a bit more lenient um, with that opponent. But if someone says, look, I've been playing this game for a long time. Yeah, I'm really experienced against Cities of Sigma. I might not need to go over all my rules. I might say, do you know what a hurricane does? Like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Cool, okay. But, uh, but another one, I'm like, well, I have to explain every little thing to make sure that they don't feel they've got a bad game. So I think that's where body language, 
mindset because you don't want to get to a point where opponents like oh i didn't know about that if i knew that you were going to do that or if i knew you could do that i wouldn't have done what i've done and now they feel bad and now they just they remove themselves like mentally and physically from the game yeah yeah it all goes back to the beginning of the game just setting up that contract you were talking about so even asking all these small questions can all can be really good icebreakers. Just oh, how long have you been playing? Oh, that, that this model really looks cool. You you really painted it well. Or, I don't know where are you from. Uh, what was the last game you had? Or just any of those small questions can can sound simple, but at the same time, they make your opponent feel a lot more at ease with uh, interacting with you, and it helps set the pace of the game, and it helps set the the clearness of the communication for later in the game at the same time. Something that I do, and this might be a tip that other people might want to take away, is um, I always take a selfie with my opponent before the game has started. And if they're on Twitter, if they're on Instagram, I'll tag them. So I'll let them know. And, you know, one, it allows me to build a relationship because I will play that opponent potentially in another time. It could be a year, it could be two years, it could be next month. But we're setting their groundwork for fun. And we got a cool memento and, you know, I find Twitter is always like, oh, tell us about the game. And they can obviously now respond and share their thoughts. And it becomes a, uh, and this is a tournament, I do it at tournaments all the time. It's a shared experience. Whether I win, whether I lose, um, it's a shared experience. And we've got a a, a, a token of our, our battle. Um, and it's fun and allows me to say, oh, man, your Alario is really cool. Can I take a photo of that? Um, and it's surprising how many people um really appreciate it once i do it because i'm more of an extroverted person and a lot of people in our community are probably more introverted and they don't want to feel like it's a hassle but once i do it they're like oh cool i'm gonna take photos of your army oh is it okay if i take a photo and then like there might be a battle between two monsters and they'll like tilt it to make sure that it looks like a really cool photo where they're about to battle and it builds up the fun and the excitement of the game again in a tournament setting as well where it kind of breaks the ice and breaks the tension because we're having fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and something that came to my mind is, uh, you talked about this in previous shows, that you had people recognizing you and some even being shy and just not wanting to come to say hi because maybe they're, yeah, they're just introverts and they're not feeling too okay about going to talk to you. And actually, it happened to me a couple of times that some some people recognized me at a tournament and said, even sometimes really shy, like, oh, yeah, yeah, um, uh, I just go and say, okay, nice to meet you. My name is blah, blah, blah. And say, yeah, I know some, some video, I saw some video of yours all the time. I'm like, oh man, that's really cool. I really appreciate the fact that you, you follow me a little. And I just want to encourage people just like you did to just don't be shy and go say hi to, to whoever you recognize or just respect or admire because they really always feel happy to, to talk to you. Maybe not when they're on the on the, the toilet or just talking to their angry girlfriend, <laughs> but all the other times, absolutely, just go ahead. I mean, but even if they're not a content creator, content creator, um, if there are people yeah. that you don't know, go. You know, you should feel comfortable to at least introduce yourself with a handshake when we're COVID safe. You know, like hi, it's my first tournament. My name's Anthony, um, and that's how I got to meet so many people. Was not just sticking to the people I know, but getting to meet more people, and now four or five years later playing Age of Sigma, I know so much of the community because I've gone out of my way to get to know them, follow them on Twitter, follow them on Instagram, meet them, um, meet them, try to learn their name, compliment their army, you know, genuine compliments. Um, 
And you build trust over time. That's the key. You build trust over time, not just in a one-off interaction. Yeah, that, that's something that I really learned through this experience I am having through my channel and my my endeavor because I started this throughout two years ago, I think now. And I uh, for for the people that don't know me, I have this, this small channel which where most of the content is in Italian because we don't. I I when I I, I worked on it at first, I I really thought that it wasn't there wasn't kind of a reference for Age of Sigmar in Italy in, in YouTube. And there's lots of people in just international scene and just English-based people. So I thought, let's just not compete in that sector. Just be smart and talk to our Italian community as much as possible. But at the same time, in the last few months, I've tried to branch out and talk to... I talked to Rob from The Honest Word Gamer. I talked to Bill Souza. I talked to James Tinsley. And I'm talking to you. And it's it's really amazing that you, you then, after a small talk, you just get to know people and... Uh, I, I I talk to James on on WhatsApp. Sometimes we we uh, he talk he talk to me about his daughter. We we share personal experiences. Uh, it's it's really cool, and you feel like you have some small. I, I envision this world map, and I have some small pins and places in the world when I I have the chance to know people, and then through them I know some other people, uh, and it's just really heartwarming to to kind of create all this incredible just international community after all. Regardless, we all have one thing in common, and that is Warhammer. Whether it's the music we like, yeah. whether it's our, our preferences in life, whether it's whatever we do, we have one thing in common at minimum, and that is that we all like Warhammer. I talked a little bit earlier in the show about your first loss. So my goal at a tournament is I really want to do well. I want to win more than I lose. I want to win the event. I want to be best death. I want to whatever it might be. I want to win a prize. That might be my goal. And um, I see often, I mean, hell, 50% in round one is going to lose. 50% loses. So yeah. straight off the bat, that group is now failing at their goal potentially. And I find that uh, I, I've been at tournaments where literally people have quit after their first game because they um, they can't win it. Or their mindset changes and like, oh, you know, look, I can't win it anymore. I'm not going to try as hard. The pressure on me now because I need to... I need to win more games because I've already suffered my first loss. That eats at players and it can mentally cripple you and it can put unrequired pressure in subsequent subsequent games that will, I guess, be a, a self-fulfilling prophecy where, you know, they're, they're, they're rushing their game, they're trying too hard and they just keep losing. So I guess the question I've got is how do you turn a mindset around? Hell, maybe your first tournament you lost all your games or you only, only won one game. Like it doesn't happen just at events, but it could be like I remember my first Age of Sigmar. I don't, I don't talk about this very often. I might have mentioned it a few times. But in my very first year of Age of Sigmar, I won one game. And that was the second last game in the year in December. I, lo I lost all of my games until... Uh, December and I, I was coming from Warhammer fantasy battle so for me part of my struggles was breaking the old the old way of thinking the old the old game and adapting to yep. this new game and it was a struggle and you know through persistence through learning I was able to get there but it would have been easy for me to quit I could have said stuff this this game's not for me I'm not winning I'm not having fun I'm gonna throw it away how how do I change that mindset around? 
how do I tweak that mindset or adapt myself? We talked about the, you know, the mind and the body and, you know, being able to like influence it a little bit, but how do I position myself for the, for the next game? Um, and I guess reframe or refresh my mind so that I'm in a more positive or useful state. Um, there's something um, that comes to my mind that we, we talk about a lot during tournaments here in Italy. So uh, something we talk about most of the time jogging, but it's actually a true thing. So um, whenever, just like you said, you maybe lose your first game or maybe just snatch that tiny minor victory, just not a very good match you had. So you don't basically you don't win like a proper win game or even lose. Um, you most of the times in the next round will be paired on mid tables probably. So mid ranking opponents. And in Italy, we say in this case that you are slaloming. So you see people skiing or just cars. So you go around and just do this kind of thing. So why we say why we say this and why we joke about this is that sometimes, just like it happened to me at that time in Milan, you might lose your first game, but that might help you creep through the rankings from the bottom, reaching the top on a uh, an easier way than you might have just crushing your opponent on the first game and landing on the top tables as soon as you can on round two and three and so on. So as much as we joke about it, it's actually a real factor that people should think about because having lost your first game, now it's up to you to work your way back up to the to the, the top of the ranking if you, if you that's what you're looking for. Um, and we, so, we call it the submarine. We call it a submarine where you basically yeah, go underwater. Exactly. You're, you're not being detected. <laughs> People are worried about what's happening at the top and the focus is not on you. And then you kind of like, as a submarine, you kind of come up and you, you have the chance to, to come out of nowhere and surprise your opponents because you might've picked up a couple of wins while everyone's been focusing on the top tables. Yeah, this is exactly it. <laughs> so it's, it's a funny concept, but it's actually a real experience that happens at the, at the, at the events. If you ever, have never been at an event, that's something that really happens in, in, the, in, the, in the rankings and in the, the pairings that happen during tournaments. So it's a factor we, we, sh- we, should, we should think about when we are just down because we lost our first game, sad or just overwhelmed about, about it. It's still plenty of games to, do, to go on. And at the same time, um, we should really think about that. Every every game is a game in itself. So there's a fresh start, there's a new opponent, there's a new battle plan, a new opportunity to have a good game and try to win if you if you, if that's what you really actually want as, as your final goal. So it just gets reset every time. So you might have lost the first game, but your opponent might have lost too. So you might be even even more frustrated than you. So um, that's the perfect opportunity for you to stand back up and just dust off your shoulders and start gaming again, start doing your best as, as much as you tried last game, even though you lost. So it's all in the mindset you have. It, it all goes back, in my, in my opinion, to just setting the bar where you you feel comfortable it is set and just understand what, what, what your odds are and understand where, where you stand in the, the, the goal you can have. So just like you said, if you are at your first tournament, it's extremely unla- unlikely that you will win. So even trying to have good games will be a good, a good, a good goal. Or if you are an experienced player, you can say, yes, my goal is to win more games than lose games. So that, that, that's, that's a viable goal you can have. And just, yes, yeah, set, setting your goal at a, at a, at a reasonable standard is a good thing. 
And at the same time, just for, for your mindset in general, we talked about uh, having food, being hydrated, um, also trying to have a good a good um, posture for your body might help if you have neck neck or back problems. Um, having having comfortable uh, comfortable clothes is something that I really I really think about when I go to tournaments. So just picking up my super comfy shoes, having a comfortable underwear, having comfortable pants, whatever you have, and it's something that really play, plays a plays a role in this in this sort of situation because over time you might be tired, but if you're comfortable in your clothes, it's better than being tired in really scratchy or tight clothes that you don't really feel feel comfortable in. And also taking breaks is important, as we talked about before. So, taking breaks is uh, big. Getting yeah. a good night's sleep. Uh, they're all oh, stuff definitely. that affects our physiology. Um, another one for me, and, and this is probably the last slide that I prepared in advance that I wanted to share. And this is something that I call the success spiral. Um, and it's basically a spiral that can, can spiral us up or it can spiral us down. And if I had the ability to animate it, I would first tell you that, you know, your result is not your identity. So just because you won a lot of game of Warhammer doesn't make you a great Warhammer player. Just because you don't win many games doesn't make you a bad Warhammer player. Your result is not your identity. But what happens is that we get so focused on our results that we influence ourselves. We influence our stories. We influence our actions. So the way that the spiral works is for myself, I am me. My identity is my identity. And what determines my results is my actions. They're the movement on the tables, the decisions that I make, the army that I play. Win, lose, or draw, a story comes out. And it doesn't have to be, Anthony, you won Battle for the Plus, you are an amazing Warhammer player, uh, everybody is going to throw money at you, and all the women are going to chase you. That's not the story. The story is, is what did I learn from the game? What were the things that worked for me that I should continue to do? What were the lessons that I learned? What were the, or, um, you know, what was the outcome that I could potentially package up into a story? And basically, depending on my stories, if I, if I, if I feed myself with negative stories, well, it will influence my identity. So my actions will be poor. I won't get good results and I'll just continue spiraling down. But if I was to say to myself, well, look, my first tournament, I didn't do any, I didn't do very well, but I'm only learning. Uh, this is the first time I've played this army. I've never come up against this particular uh, army. Uh, I haven't played this scenario before. All of a sudden, my identity is someone who's learning. So my actions are, I'm going to learn, I'm going to practice, I'm going to try things. And hopefully my result is I get better and better and better. So the point that I want to make here, folks, is that whether you make a bad decision or a good decision, whether you win a tournament or you get the wooden spoon, whether you, you know, get all the kill points or you get no kill points, doesn't make you a good or a bad Warhammer player. But what it does is it tells stories. So make, make sure that you're feeding yourself with positive and useful stories and constructive stories. And again, it kind of goes back to there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. And if you're not getting the desired outcome that you're after, you need to change your actions. You need to learn. You need to adapt. Absolutely, yeah. Something we didn't talk about is being able to adapt to events. And it's something that 
every mature adult should have because adaptability and flexibility are some key skills to have a positive life, I would say, in general, because if you don't adapt, if you, if you don't, if you're not able to be flexible about things that happen, you will be more, even more frustrated than some, someone that will be able to put things into perspective. Yes, I lo I've lost the game, but there's many games, or I've lost this tournament, but I have, a, I had a good time. I, la I left with my friends. I, I just had fun in general. So, yes, being able to adapt and to put things into perspective. And as LR in the chat said as well, you know, being overconfident is the quickest way to a loss. That's perfect because my identity is, is that I'm awesome. Um, I'm the best. I'm going to kick everyone's ass. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I can't lose. And through your actions, you may uh, make poor decisions. You may rush decisions. You may be over, you may over, uh, over anticipate what the outcome is going to be. You know, you think that this unit's going to do more damage than it possibly can, or maybe it's going to charge longer than it should. And, that then quickly changes the result, and then the story can get influenced. So I couldn't agree more. Being overconfident and over cocky. If you were to ask the best chess player in the world, um, how do they win a game of chess? They would not tell you they have this perfect game strategy. What they would tell you is they make decisions, uh, one decision at a time. They wait for their opponent to make a decision, and then they make the best decision based on that decision. They don't say, I'm going to move this pawn here, I'm going to move the rook, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to checkmate. They make decisions based off their opponent. And I think that's where listening, analyzing, uh, looking for patterns, um, being aware, uh, assessing the decision, the, all of the options on the table. And this kind of comes back to retreating. Most people don't look at retreating, so it's not a decision. And often that could be the best decision, but we ignore it then you get a suboptimal result because you didn't analyze the playing field. So if I think about how do I get better risk versus reward, if I think about how do I get better outcomes, how do I be more strategic, it's about looking at the options on the table and assessing the right decision for the right time. Yeah, and it all comes back to the fact that it's actually an interaction between you and your opponent because... The, the strategy you were talking about uh, of being of going, yes, I will move this to this and this to this and do this and that and all that chain of, 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 of actions is something that you could do if you're playing against yourself or maybe a computer, I don't know. But being the fact that we can just read minds of people, we really need to uh, make decisions time at, a, at the time due of them to be, to be, to be taken because it, it's impossible to have the perfect plan, as you said. And it goes back to what Dutch Skink said before. Um, he said, you know, the reason that people don't like taking first turn is because they want to react to their opponent. And that is literally me. That's how I like to play this game. I hate going first. Um, not that I don't want to go first, but my game style and my preference is I like to counter my opponent. So I want to see what they do and I want to respond appropriately. But in saying that, I need to make sure that I've got a game plan that if I'm given first turn, I know the sequence of events that are going to put me in a good position. But um, it's about responding. And, and I think this is where people get really have issues with the double turn is because they have a plan for offense, but they'd never have a plan of what happens if it goes against them. So by, again, make the best decision at the time. Do you give it over or do you take it? What do you do if you're given first turn? 
ones if you're, if you're taking away first turn. And again, make the right decision at the right time. Don't just repeat a pattern because it's what you always do. Yeah, that, that's one of the most common complaints about people that really complain about Age of Sigmas. Yeah, the double turn, I can deal with it. Uh, just something I just can, I don't know how to react to. But it's mostly because people don't play with in mind the fact that they could be double turn at a certain point. And if you actually play with this, this in your mind, uh, it almost goes goes to do to the way of saying, okay, uh, worst case scenario, this will happen and this will happen and this will happen. If you have the worst case scenario in your mind, best case scenario is free for you to take. So if you move your unit knowing that, okay, if I get double turn, this and this will happen, but it's not the end of the world. Even if if, if you don't get double turn, you're free to to act just like you like you you were thinking about before. So. Taking taking care of this means to me at the same time being able to think about the worst case scenario and taking into consideration the fact that double turn is a thing and it's it's not it's not it's not game changing it's not the end of the world it happens lots of times it happens that you don't you don't have double turns it's just a it's a factor it's it's not something out of your control. One of the easiest way to mitigate the double turn and I again I see this a lot is that people spend all their command points because because they're trying to like get this ultimate strike they're going to you know spend a command point to run they're going to spend a command point to re-roll the charge and they have no command points left and then it comes to the double turn and they lose the double turn and it means they have to go through the next round of combat without any inspiring presence without any command abilities and if they would have thought about reserving one and they would have just kept one up their sleeve just in case they get double turned just in case in an inspiring presence all of a sudden that's where the double turn isn't as bad because you've planned for the best and you've planned for the worst it's risk mitigation and it's about making sure that you're planning for the worst and you know again to the chat they, they've summarized it perfect always preparing for the worst case uh, and you will always you will never be disappointed because you're ex you're anticipating and you're expecting your opponent you're not going to be surprised because you knew that if you lost, they're going to do this, they're going to do this, they're probably going to charge here. This unit is most likely to run from Battleshock because they're going to put this attacks into here. Um, that That is key, that is strategic thinking, and that's probability as well. It's making sure that you've got a 50-50 chance of winning the, winning the priority. And should you lose, here are the things that you need to think about in order to mitigate the loss. One phrase is some still like in case hope for the best but prepare for the worst. Yeah, actually a really good question's come up. I want to raise this one. Uh it's one that one of my yeah. personal favorites, the the sunken cost fallacy where they've said, uh, Arcane Ring has said, any thoughts on uh, on the concept of the sunken cost fallacy might come into decision making. So they've used an example of if they've waited for the bus and the bus is late. Um, but you've invested, you know, you've waited for the bus for 10 minutes already and the bus might come. If I was to leave and get an Uber or I was to walk, uh, what happens if that bus comes another minute from now? Same, same pr principles apply in Age of Sigma. Um, there is sunken cost fallacy, right? It could be I've invested in Seraphon, uh, not Seraphon, Sylvaneth. Sylvaneth's going to be good eventually. I'm not going to buy a new army. Or it could be, again, I'm in combat, right? I've already spent four command points making my Kurnoth Hunters super amazing. Uh, they will chew through this unit eventually, or 
Um, they just keep persisting because they've invested so much time, so much resources, and it kind of goes back to the, the the retreat. People don't want to retreat because they've invested so much energy to get into combat that they just want to fight through it. Thoughts on the sunk cost fallacy um, and how that might play in Age of Sigma? I love that question. That's a very good question because, yeah. as you were saying, people most of the time invest, find a plan, invest in that plan, and go straight forward like a freight train to that plan. But what you really need to learn in this game is um, accept the fact that you, you might fail, then the plan might, it's always actually uh, not the perfect plan. So accepting that you made, you made uh, a bad decision is something that you have to take into account because if you think the decision you make are perfect, first of all, you will win all the games and it's not going to happen. And at the same time, um, you have to understand when the the odds are not in your favor and when they are in your favor. So going back to the math hammer video, all, doing all those quick, quick, tiny math things to understand the percentage of, of moves you might do or saves you might you might be able to make is something you always have to have in the back of your mind. And I think it's okay for people to have, even have like a tiny, tiny, tiny sheet of paper to write down all the things they need to know. It's, I've seen people do this, and it's it's perfectly fine because it helps you keep things in order and helps you to, to keep things clear for you when you have to think of all those stuff that you have to do when you play. So, yeah, I mean, understanding when you have to change the plan is, is part of the fact that you, you should have a loose plan. It's not the fixed plan. It's not the perfect plan. You, you, might even, you, you might even have more plans, plan A, plan B. If this happens, this will happen. It's, it's, it, it all goes back to try to understand in, in, in advance what might happen during the game. So uh, branching out all these decisions loosely because you you can't have it fixed because it's in the future we all know anything might happen but if you try and make all those 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 kind of branching decisions you will have you will be prepared a little for anything that might happen you you can you can always have all all things considered but you might have most of them in your possible plans so this will help you stay away from this kind of policy that our Henry is talking about yeah, I love it. Uh, look, you know, for me, um, it's about making decisions on the spot and forgetting my investment. So for anyone who doesn't know the sunken cost fallacy, um, Apple is a perfect example of a business based on the cost fa- uh, the sunken cost fallacy. Um, for example, you know, if we've had an Apple iPhone for, I don't know, many generations now, and you've spent, I don't know, $100, $200, $500 on apps, most people won't consider moving to an Android phone because in the past they've spent $500 on those apps and they won't go to the Samsung or the Android because of those decisions from the past. But the Samsung actually might be the better phone. It's just that you have sunk so many resources in the past that they're actually tying you to potentially the worst outcome. But if you were to kind of remove that and say, look, what I've already spent is what I've spent. Like, regardless of what happened, it's happened. What is the best decision for me on today? And it could be that Samsung or that Android phone, or it might be the new iPhone, I don't know. But removing your previous investments will help you make a better decision. So that's kind of the sunken cost fallacy if you kind of bring that into 
And, and you can contextualize it. It could be uh, you're attacking, I don't know, 30 Grimgast Reapers that are keep coming back from, from the dead because of the heroes around them. And you ask yourself, shit, I've put two rounds of combat or I've put two rounds of shooting and magic into this Grimgast Reaper unit. I can't kill them. They keep regenerating. Do I quit attacking them or do I just keep attacking with them? And some people might might just keep going at it because they just want to kill it. But actually, they might have realized that, look, I've invested two rounds of shooting. It didn't work. My resources are better moved, putting it into a hero and then reducing the amount of heroes, which means later in the game, they're not going to be able to regenerate as much. But don't yeah. just keep attacking those Grimgast Reapers just because you've put so much effort into them already. I try to be smart because it also speaks to me about trade-offs. So that's something that I, I struggled to learn about and to get really to use because at, at first i all i had all those pretty models i just painted and i didn't want any of them to die and i felt bad whenever anyone any any one of them died actually but when you when you when you really understand the dynamics of the game you understand that sacrificing that then 80 100 point units or whatever might be the best way to later on you know get an objective or screen something or in general give you the best odds of winning so uh, being able to sacrifice something is is is, uh, is also uh, a thing that really happens uh, during the game. I think it's that risk versus reward trade off. Uh, two yeah. more burning questions before we kind of wrap things up. Uh, we do have the Warhammer un un reveal, I guess, not long from now. So I've got two more questions for you. This has been really insightful. We're almost at two hours, and this is I think we could talk forever here. Um, about psychology, because I, um, you know, I think I mentioned in the past, I'm, you know, classically trained in neuro neurolinguistic programming, and you know, very, very love the human behavior. I love nothing more than sitting at a cafe watching people and trying to study human behavior. It's something that's marvelous. Two final questions. The first one comes down to conflict management. And I know that there are a lot of community members out there that do not like conflict. They, uh, if, if their opponent is, um, they're unclear on their rules or they think that their opponent's rules are wrong. They don't like the idea of raising conflict. They don't want to bring over the tournament organizer, whether it's a perception of their ego, whether they're just not comfortable or confident in, in raising a concern. Um, and what I find is when you don't raise a concern, because we're with our opponent for three hours, things just continue to escalate. We start getting nitty pity, nicky pick, uh, <laughs> we, we like nitpick at things. Um, we yeah. we don't enjoy our game as much because we believe that our opponent is cheating or they're bending the rules or um, like and, and we we never get clarity because we never ask a tournament organizer or we never challenge our opponent how do you, like what advice would you give somebody who who when it comes to raising or working through conflict because i know for a lot of people that's an uncomfortable behavior to to raise conflict mm -hmm. yeah well one thing that i think happens a lot in the mind of people that, that have this kind of problem is they, they don't allow themselves to speak for themselves. So this is this goes back to their ego actually because if you're if you are if you have a let's say uh, not that good of a conception of yourself, you won't allow yourself to speak up for yourself in this kind of situation, which leads to a, a kind of being not being uh, 
able to respond to conflict, not, not in the sense of being in the conflict, but even dealing with it in a certain way. The most common response from this sort of people is to avoid the conflict in general. So just not dealing with it, I'm not dealing with it. Okay? But most of the times, it, this can be, can be an, an excuse for us not to speak for ourselves. And it can be hard, as we, as we talked about, because if you don't have the type of personality that, that is able to speak in this kind of sort of difficult situation for them, it might be hard for you to, to, to find the strength to speak, um, take, take out the concern you have inside and explain it to whoever, whoever is, 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 here, is there with you. Mm. My suggestion is, 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 is practice actually, because this is something that you can practice. It might be somebody cutting the line in, uh, in the supermarket. It can be somebody, I don't know, uh, forgetting about giving you that, that dollar of, uh, of change when you buy something. This, these are all tiny things that actually lead up to big, to bigger situations. So practice this, this, this ability to speak for yourself and to pick your mind in general is, is actually what we were talking about. And I think that after, after the, 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 the practice you can have in everyday life, this can become something that you are more comfortable of after exposure in smaller, smaller situations. And when you, when you get to a, a situation like this one at, a, at an event or a tournament, you will be, you will be feel, feel more entitled to respond or to speak up in, in a situation like this one uh, than you will before. I think the message that I would give, um, and I agree with you 100%, the other message that I would give here is that um, by not speaking up, I think you put yourself in a negative position. And I, I think it comes back to, we've used this word called reframing a few times. It's, you know, it's, it's looking at things differently. Now, is t talking to a tournament organizer, could that be perceived as you whinging or you complaining to a tournament organizer yes it could be another way of looking at it is taking a moment to pause to clarify a rule so that we're all you doing the, doing the right thing together and moving forward positively or constructively and that's how i see talking to a tournament organizer it's nothing to do with i'm having a whinge it has nothing to do with me complaining about my opponent it is there is a rules interaction that we're not 100 percent clear on that we would like an independent voice to give us advice. And whatever the tournament organizer says, whether it's positive for me or negative for me, we will move forward with that decision. And at least I can't blame my opponent for lying to me. And my opponent can't look at me and, you know, that if they might realize that maybe down the track they were wrong, but they weren't able to resolve it without that independent. And we, we, we get rules wrong all the time. There are so yeah, many rules Absolutely. There's so many mistakes. Um, mistakes are human. Mistakes are normal. And by calling over a, a, a tournament organizer, if we're at a local game store, you know, Francesco, I might say, look, let's roll a dice. On a four plus, it's what you believe. On a one to a three, it's what I believe. That's independent, right? It's just literally a dice roll. That to me is how at minimum we can resolve conflict. And I think backing yourself as well. If you think something is wrong, pause, go, look, let's look at the rules. Let's ask yeah. somebody else for advice. Um, back yourself. 
it's not it's not what you say it's how you say it and i think it's the intention of clarity Absolutely. as opposed to the intention of creating conflict you're not you're not trying to call out your opponent as a cheater you're just trying to get yeah. clarity to ensure you get the great outcome yeah. and there's a big difference between saying yes this i think you're 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 wrong about this rule and saying are you sure because i'm not sure that this rule is like this because one thing is is having doubt one thing is accusing somebody of doing something wrong and there's a big difference in the in the power of the words that are in both both uh, way of saying it yeah yeah and i think i think yeah it, and you know if it takes it means you know looking at someone's book um opening up the war scrolls challenging somebody again it's it's with curiosity as opposed to a, yeah. a malice intent Definitely. The last question I have, and um, this has been awesome. I've really enjoyed this. This is um, something that I've wanted to do for a while, yeah. and I'm glad that we got to have this. So um, thank you very much for, for reaching out. I think, again, oh, for anyone who's pleasure. enjoyed this, if anyone who's enjoyed this discussion and wants to hear more from Francesco, I would you know go out and check out his YouTube channel, uh, AOS Crusaders. Uh, it is linked in the description as well. But my last question for you and uh, I love reading a gentleman by the name of Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell um, creates some really great books, um, and one in particular that I really love is called Outliers. In the book Outliers, he talks about and he's really popularized this idea that um, to achieve mastery, to, to become a master of a field or a, um, anything like anything in life, he claims that you need 10,000 hours to achieve mastery in something, you know. I personally believe that that number isn't quite right, but it's more about, you know, things like deliberate practice. It's about, you know, establishing well-defined and specific goals. It's about getting feedback and it's about getting outside of your comfort zone. What do you believe when it comes to being a master of Age of Sigma? How do you achieve mastery in this game? Well, um, what comes to my mind is actually something that doesn't really have directly to do with the, with the being a good player, which is painting. Because painting is something for me that, yes, I do, but sometimes it's just something that I want to do. I feel, I feel lazy about it. And then I have the tournament coming up in like a month, and then I feel stressed and I just paint all day because I need to paint all my models. Okay. So what what actually what actually has to, this has to do with the with the thing you were talking about is that I know that for me what pushes me to do my best is uh, uh, a due date, for example. So if I have a due date for something, I know that after 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 all, at the end at the end of the day, there will be a moment in which I say, okay, I'm done. This is the time where I need to focus and just go all out for something. So I think what we need to do is try to find our really pushing uh, our pushing motive or the thing that really pushes us to, 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 to do our best. And it might be this, it, it might be, uh, I don't know, I want to impress my mom. I want to, uh, I don't know, uh, impress my friends. I want to do it for myself because I don't know, I've never won a competition in my life. I want to do, I want to do because my everyday life is not so um, successful or just so exciting for me so my hobby is uh is, is really of a kind of a second way for me to be happy in life there's plenty of, of reasons that it can 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 be the the motive that push you to to strive to go to go all out to to, to try to be the best player you can be so understanding what 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 is the motive that pushes you is something that really helps you in my opinion and 
it's, it's something that you can then leverage to to go and go that extra mile that some people might not go. And for example, I watched the, that amazing Michael Jordan uh, Netflix series that, that was on Netflix. And yeah. it, it really showed how that's something that he had inside his personality. He just wanted to be the best. He always wanted to be the best. And that made him practice like, like all day, every day. And that's the motive that pushed him. And every every one of us might have a motive that pushes us. And this is this is the the, 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 the big weight that, that that pushes our carriage forward when we are trying to to do, to better ourselves and through I think trying to do all the, the things we were talking about, trying to practice, trying to to learn about books, try to understand armies, try to understand the, the mechanics of the of mechanics of the game, and these are all tiny tiny little points that you can all try to gather to create a bigger picture of of hopefully a better player. I think. I mentioned um, and to close this off. I remember um, I mentioned my story about how in 2016, my very first year of Age of Sigma, I didn't win any games except for one. Um, and that was me kind of moving from Warhammer Fantasy over to Age of Sigma. And part of the reason I didn't win so many games is I deliberately challenged the best people in the Sydney community, people who've been practicing for a long time, people who have a really good reputation, People who are um, and I and, and people who had really good armies and strong armies. People that um, at the time, you know, I, I wasn't used to playing. And part of the reason I did that is because I wanted to not just challenge myself against the best, uh, but it was because I knew I was going to lose. But I knew that by playing games against the best, I would learn so much. When I got feedback from them, it would be great feedback. Um, and when I did things right. I would absolutely have deliberately did that against an awesome opponent. I'm not doing it against someone who's learning the Age of Sigma for the very first time. I'm deliberately hunting Beast Claw Raiders, um, Iron Jaws, Zench, you know, Stormcast Eternals, whoever was strong at the time. So for me, it was about practice, deliberate practice. It wasn't about the 10,000 hours. It was about getting deliberate practice, getting exposure, getting yeah. experience, learning. And being able to incorporate those learnings and just getting better and better and better over time. Learning isn't, yeah. losing isn't good unless you learn. So make sure yeah. that you learn through the process. I think that's for me yeah. how you achieve mastery is by getting exposure, getting experience and learning along the way. Yeah, that's a skill that helps in, in life in general for me because... There might be bad moments in your life, but that's always something that you can learn from them. It might be a breakup, it might be losing your job, it might be losing a, a loved one or any other thing, actually. There's always something you can learn from them that can always always enrich you as a, as a person. And that, that basically happens also in, in, in practicing for this game and in putting quality into those hours, just not quantity, because, yeah, just yeah. like you were saying, if you played uh 10,000 hours against the same opponent that is your friend you won't be learning as much as you you will you will learn by playing maybe 100 hours against the five top players of Australia for example yeah yeah any any other closing comments or any other thoughts you want to talk about with the psychology of Warhammer or should we bring this home because this has been a really good discussion this has been two hours and 10 minutes of solid gold um <laughs> I, I hope people who would listen to this either live or on replay have walked away with a few new ideas and, and hopefully put a bit more of an appreciation on the mindset and the psychology 
of becoming a peak performer and getting good results, not just through your game style, but the the thought the thought process and the mindset and the the physiology and you know everything that kind of comes around the strategic thinking and putting together some of this stuff that we've already discussed through the maths hammering or you know making better smarter decisions and you know the the games the gamesmanship side i think it's kind of all coming together nicely through the mindset of warhammer yeah well one just one thing i would say is just don't, don't be shy to try and and learn more about this topic because i'm sure that there's plenty of books about performance about pro athletes sharing their thoughts about how they they perform about even about human behavior there are not just university textbooks there are just uh books for everyone to read actually so there's plenty of interesting stuff we can read on even articles in the internet or videos i'm sure on youtube and so don't don't be shy and and reach out and learn about this stuff it's something that interests you at the same yeah. time if you have questions or yeah. want to talk to me about anything else you can message me on facebook or on twitter it's it's my name francesco and my last name is Sella. so x e double l a you can find me on twitter on facebook wherever you want and we can talk about anything you want no that's that's awesome and i think to to kind of close this show off i think it's a nice little humbly kind of like uh, hugging moment is that these aren't just warhammer skills that we've talked about these are life skills if you're thinking about you know reaching the peak performance in your job you're looking for a promotion if you want to get the best out of your family if you play sports if you are trying to do the best of what you are you want to be the best cook in the kitchen i don't know like whatever your goals are everything we've spoken about are not warhammer skills these are life skills and these psychology you mentioned it perfectly you read a book of sportsmen's or you look at someone who's been at the top of their game there is strategies and there are traits that are common across all of the champions. So um, whether you're in Warhammer, chess, um, uh, some type of League of Legends, football, whatever it is, there's all traits across the across the game. So Francesco, if people want to find you, where can they find you on YouTube? It is linked in the channel description, so yeah. please do check out AOS Crusaders. But if they want to find you, where can they find you? Yeah, well, I'm pretty active on both Facebook and Twitter. And you can find me, so just like my name, Francesco, and my last name is Xella, so X-E-L-L-A. It's, it's a weird name, but you, you should find it. <laughs> and just, yeah, shoot me a message, request me as a friend, I will I'll accept no problem. And uh, we can talk about uh, whatever you want, and just really open to, to share thoughts with any of you guys. And really curious to know other people in the world uh, that love Joxigmar as we do. Awesome. Well, it was absolutely amazing learning more about the Italy uh, Warhammer scene, and more importantly, learning from the doctor of psychology around how psychology impacts Warhammer. Folks, this was great. Thank you very much, Francesco. I wish I knew how to say goodbye. I'll just say ciao bello. Um, and... That works perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to log off. Uh, I'm going to go watch the Warhammer uh, reveals. Hopefully, more gadgets are coming my way. But oh, yeah. Oh, boy, am I excited about uh, Squigs at the moment. I'm building Squigs oh. furiously. I am on the, the jaws of Mork. Nice. All right. Thanks, folks. Uh, Francesco, thank you again for your time. Um, have a good thank rest you of your so day. Thank you so much, man. See ya. See ya. G'day. I hope you enjoyed that video and you're left with some new ideas. One of the biggest ways you can contribute to AOS Coach is by liking the video you just watched and leaving a comment in the comment section. This lets YouTube know this is a good video and it should recommend it to other hobbyists.
If you'd also like to support the channel even further like these bloody legends, go check out AOS Coach on Patreon. Otherwise, don't forget your triumph.